United are unbeaten in four, but this week, they face two of the toughest tests of the month. On today's Devils in the Details, we welcome two very special guests in Reese Jenkins and Orlando Valman to preview United's upcoming clashes against Spurs and Chelsea. Case, it's been all right results-wise, but probably not as good performances-wise. How have you found United's recent form? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Aaron. I, I wouldn't say I've, I've been dissatisfied by the performances. Obviously, they could have been better. They could have been more exciting. But I felt we saw some, some serious steps forward, at least in the, in the, the capacity of this team to, to control matches. So I won't say I'm discouraged, even though I almost fell asleep during that Newcastle match. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. I feel like the Ammonia and Newcastle matches United controlled quite a bit. And I probably wouldn't have expected them to control the Newcastle match to the extent that they no. did. So those were pleasant surprises. But I also feel like it didn't feel like a three wins, one draw run once again. No. After the no. Derby. So, uh-uh. but anyway, we're not here to talk about only United today. We're actually welcoming some great guests. And we're going to introduce the first one right away. So without further ado, Reese Jenkins. Reese is a master's graduate in economics from the University of Strathclyde. And while he might be new to Devils in the Details, he's no guest to the podcast game. Given his involvement in the Pure Football podcast, forgive me for that, every Scottish listener. He's also a perfect fit for Devils in the Details because he's a Spurs fan, so he understands football fans and how they suffer. Reese, are you looking forward to today's matchup? Yeah, so I'm I'm feeling feeling kind of confident. I wouldn't say I'm overly confident, but I think that we we've um we've been okay recently. Um, a bit bit inconsistent, but I think that matchup wise, um, Spurs to United, I reckon that we have a decent chance. Uh, so so yeah, I'm not I'm not not too bad, but we've been a little inconsistent away from home. So so who knows? Yeah, I kind of agree with you about Spurs being a good matchup. Um. For 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 them for for United, I'm sure Case has a lot of strong opinions about Spurs as well. But I'm going to come to you first. What are your impressions of the season so far as a Spurs fan? They seem to make a lot of games feel kind of fifty fifty, but I also feel like they're constantly putting opposition away. I tweeted about this over the weekend. They seem to generate pretty good margins over their over weaker opposition as well, and they've got a lot of points on the board. Yeah, so I think you've you've already alluded to it a little bit there, and I would make a distinction between the results and the sort of overall performances that we we've seen. You you can't complain about results. We it's our best ever start to a Premier League season, um, and I don't think that it's come by fluke, as you know some Arsenal fans might lead you to believe. Um, but I do think that we've not seen close to the best of this Spurs team uh, this season, and there's a lot of room for improvement. And I'd say that's down to a few different factors. So, uh, firstly, I think that um, there's a couple of players whose profiles like we we kind of can't replace when they're unavailable, and most notably, I'm talking about Dejan Kulusevski, and I think he's just so important to us in this three four three kind of setup. Um, he acts as the link player, and we've seen a lot of Richarlison slotting in there when he's not available, and no slight on Richarlison, who I'm sure we all agree is a really good player. Um, he just doesn't offer the same same qualities, and to be specific on that, um, Kulosevsky, he kind of brings this this combination of like exceptional ball carrying. 
then kind of 1v1 and decision making in the final third and then like for his for his age i think he's got absolutely exceptional like final ball as well so yeah just to kind of cherry pick some metrics um he is currently for his limited sample in this season in the premier league he's sitting in like 93rd or above percentile for metrics such as like xg assisted progressive carries uh, progressive carry distance carries into the final third and then also for pressures in the final third which i thought was quite an interesting one so yeah he only really lacks that um the the shots and goal threat but i think that maybe reinforces how good a fit he is with son and kane and why we miss him so much due to the the goal threat that both of them carry so so yeah that's um the ma- a major reason why i think we may have struggled at times this season and aside from kulosevsky something that is closely linked to him has been the persistence with the 3-4-3 and that um yeah i think that's partly why we've struggled um in a lot of games this season where we see teams sort of packing out the midfield and um overrunning us in there with Hoiberg and Benteker and yeah we we sort of struggled with that and not just that but also the persistence with Emerson Royale um which has thankfully come to an end due to his idiotic red card against Arsenal and his uh, subsequent suspension and um yeah, I think that yeah, the kind of the mixture of not being able to control that midfield and yeah, the sort of lack of a threat from right wing back, which is so important for Antonio Conte, they've been really important reasons as to to sort of why um, we've we've struggled at times this season. First of all, that was great. You've clearly done your research on Kulusevski. Yeah. I I love Kulusevski <laughs> and I love Richarlison, but I think we can all agree they're not particularly similar at all. Any opportunity I have to uh, to to sing his praises, I will. So, <laughs> so I love the guy. He's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's so dynamic, and I'm sure a focus for Spurs in upcoming windows will be getting someone who can kind of replicate what he does a little bit. But um, you you alluded to Spurs kind of maybe being better off switching to three five two in his absence. Maybe could you? Okay, actually, I'm going to ask you to give me two starting elevens. The first one being what you think Conte will likely do. And the second one being just the changes that you would personally make if you were choosing the team for Wednesday's game and why maybe your opinion differs from what Conte would do. So th- this is actually something that I was so confident that we'd be going 3-5-2 following on from from the last game. But today there's been some some news report. Well, not news reports. It was in the press conference today. He alluded again to the 3-4-3 and said that that's his favourite formation. So I'm now really unsure as to what we're going to do. So... I had thought, maybe naively, that we would be setting up with, obviously, Lorraine goals, um, and then Romero and Dyer in the back three, and then one of Davies or Longley. They're, they've been interchanged pretty much, like, game to game this season, so it's much of a muchness between those. Um, and then I thought that we'd be setting up with the midfield three of uh, Basuma as the six, and Benton and Hoiberg with the sort of licence to push further up the pitch, and... Um, and then I thought we would see Doherty in the right wing back slot and uh, Perisic or Sessegnon. Um, they've also been in, uh, interchanged a lot this season. So and then obviously Son and Kane uh, up front. So yeah, that was that was this morning what I was very very confident would be happening. And I th- I was pretty much just going to go into this podcast assuming that was the team. But he's kind of thrown up some. Um, he's thrown a bit of a curveball today by saying that he he would like he could use Perisic in the front three or he could play Lucas, which. God, we we, we hopefully won't be seeing that. Or uh, Brian Hill, who I would rather see than Lucas, but that's um, that's another point. I was going to ask that, actually. Do you think Brian Hill is maybe the closest player you guys have to Kulusevski? Oh, without doubt, he's the most, like, I mean, he's still not, he's still, he's really, he's nowhere near Kulusevski in a lot of areas of his game, but the ability to, 
the ability to kind of carry the ball at the pitch, he has to an extent, but he does lack that dynamism and the strength that Kulosevsky has like in carrying it. He, he is the closest, but at the same time, uh, I think I would like to see him ease into the team, getting minutes like in games where we're a bit more comfortable and things like that. I think that it's maybe a recipe for disaster to throw him into a United game you know, like a big stage where, you know, he's, he's in, in for a lot of criticism. So I, I w- I'm not too keen on the idea, the idea of that. But, um, but yeah, I think that he, I would like to see him get more minutes because I definitely think he's a really talented, uh, talented player. Another player you talked about was Matt Doherty. I expected him to play a lot of minutes this season, but it hasn't quite turned out that way for one reason or another. Uh, what do you think he adds to the side in comparison to someone like Emerson Royal? I feel like he could be a big threat. I could be wrong about this, but I remember him being menacing against United um, when he was at Wolves in Nuno's earlier years. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure he will start the game because I think em- Emerson's either coming back this game or he's still suspended, but I think Doherty's been really good since he's since he came in. So um, he hasn't played much this season, but it's largely due to injury, I think. And even if he's not been injured, he's been on that kind of the the kind of recovery where he's not really up to match fitness. So I think that, yeah, Conte's just been very hesitant to use him. But yeah, the the main difference I'd say is Emerson Royale, as much as he's had sort of high profile mistakes defensively this season, in general you can say he's a fairly solid sort of defender um in our sort of mid to low block that we've found ourselves in a lot of the time this season. And yeah, the difference you get with Doherty is that kind of final third threat and you'll see him making a lot of you'll see him making the sort of back post runs and um he offers a kind of box threat, like he'll get good shots off in the box. These are all things that that yeah, Emerson just doesn't offer. Um, I don't think that Dorothy's got great delivery, but if you can get him in positions where it's more of a situation for him to maybe cut the ball back or or something like that, he he can be dangerous. He's he's not very good. At, like you know, if you if you have him in the wide areas to swing crosses, and he's not gonna he's not gonna pick the right passes. But yeah, he he offers so much more in the final third in terms of just attacking space and yeah, the the kind of runs that I mentioned earlier. That's an, uh, an interesting answer. So, so, are you more confident going to this match with with Doherty than you are Royale starting? Yeah, broadly. Um, yeah, I think that I think that most Forest fans are probably they're just a little bit sick of Royale at this point. Like he's, I think it's just that he's such not a, the profile of right back that he is is just not a Conte right wing back. He like, is so it feels so obvious that I mean he was signed for Nuno who was going to play a back four, which isn't even what Nuno was known for. So he was going to play in like a sort of more traditional right back role and. He's looked okay at times, and to be honest, he has come on a lot under Conte, but he just has limitations that are, like, no fault of his own. Like, I know you probably saw the report recently that was, like, he'd spent, like, nearly a million pounds on personal development, and everyone's clowning him for it, and it's a bit of a shame, but, I mean, he's just one of these, it's one of these things. He, he just doesn't have... He just doesn't really have the tools to to be a super effective Conte wingback. He's, he's no Hakimi. It's unfair to expect that of him. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely more happy with Doherty um, going into that. I think he just offers so much more from an attacking point of view. Um, and... Yeah, I, I don't think he's not too bad. Uh, he, maybe Emerson is a better defender, but there's no the gap there is not so big that it's worth him losing that sort of the extra you get from an attack from Doherty. So, Case, I'm going to come to you now for a little bit. We heard from Reese most likely a front four of Doherty, Perisic, Kane, and Son, with a possible fifth and a 4-3-3 of Lucas or maybe even Brian Hill. How do you feel about United coming up against that kind of attack? I'm never confident going up against a Conte side when some of our biggest issues have been in, transi- in transition defense. And that's even more true when you know you have Kane and Son, who are probably 
like two of the best players in transition in the world. It's just not a good combination. On the other hand, we've defended very well recently. Just really haven't been giving up big chances. The exception having been the City match where we gave up an incredibly high number of big chances. So uh, I guess this is sort of going to be a, a watershed moment for us where we see whether it was just City dismantling us and City being City and, and we can brush that aside or whether when we come up against these sort of elite attackers, whether we're just going to cave uh, and, and whether this is going to be a side that beats small teams and loses to big teams. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be interesting. It's, it's going to be a different match than the Arsenal match or the Liverpool match or the City match because Tottenham don't play the same way other big sides do. And I, I think most people listening to this podcast probably already know that, but I think it, it plays particularly interestingly with how we've been performing because our ish, we've played well when sides have pinned us back, at least from an attacking standpoint, whereas we've played quite poorly when we try to play out, control matches, and then get hit on the break, so... Yeah, it's just I was something that I've been thinking about with, with regards to this game was the sort of the tactical side of it, where we're almost guaranteed to not come out and press you high and pin you back. So how does that sort of um, sort of mix with um, United's sort of strong performances this season? And uh, like I, I know that you've you and they say the Arsenal game was one of the most notable ones that I watched, and it's a totally different type of you know totally different side, and they allow you to kind of get get at them in transition, whereas. Really, for us, it's like that's where we're trying to almost create yeah. those situations, even where they're not there, like, you know, with the sort of automatisms and things like that to draw you on to us. So it's it'll be a really interesting matchup. And um, it's a different one for us, too, because it's up against a sort of up against a, a big side, if you like. But um, again, United aren't quite at that level where most of the other big top six sides are in terms of coming on to us. And we've struggled with that high press at times this season or even sort of the intense sort of mid-block press that Chelsea had against us in that 2-2 um yeah we struggled with those things so it'll be really interesting to see um to see what happens yeah that, that's a it's an interesting point you bring up I would say probably our the worst we've looked this season is when we have tried to play out from the back under a press um and we sort of just started going long at a certain point in the season from goal kicks and just avoiding that situation entirely but then this Newcastle match again we saw De Gea try to play out um, and it went poorly again, but, and, and this is, this is the thing that makes me terrified of any side that's going to press us, but then you raise a good point. I don't see you doing that, which, which puts us in a, an interesting middle ground where the real weakness in United's defense probably won't be exploited in this, exploited in this match, but just the broader weakness, which has been transition defense will, it, it'll, it'll be watershed. It'll be, it'll be, it'll tell us whether the issue is. United building out from the back broadly, or whether the issue is United defending transitions broadly, I think, to some extent. But Aaron, yeah, I think and, to and I think Bruce alluded to an interesting point there where he kind of pointed out that United's strength has been in attacking transition, right? We kind of saw the both worlds with that, where against Arsenal and Liverpool, uh, perhaps a slightly weakened Liverpool compared to the one he saw this weekend, they sort of played into United's hands a little bit. Um, in that they gave enough space such that United could defend and rest defense, and then when they won the ball break in behind and I don't think United are going to have opportunities like that against Spurs unless like in the first uh sorry like in the last match against Conte Spurs where Ronaldo hits a long-range goal from early and that opens up the game and then it becomes really messy from there so I almost see like two different matches playing out here one being this kind of low mistakes but low amount of things happening uh, on either side 
or someone scores early and opens up the game and then it's complete chaos. Let's talk a little bit about Antonio Conte because I feel like we've talked a lot about Spurs as a side and implied a lot of things about Conte, but not as much about maybe his tenure at Spurs. Um, Conte is probably quite a big departure from the most recent elite Spurs side, which I would say was the one under Pochettino. Nonetheless, despite being very different, it's been, for the most part, I would say effective. How much does... I know there's a lot of sort of Spurs fan base um, discourse about Conte and winning and trophies, and this has been going on for decades now, but how does having a manager like Conte, who has won so much and done so in a very modern style, unlike someone like maybe Mourinho, uh, affect the confidence of Spurs fans and maybe even players and the morale around players going into this season and, and, and this game? Yeah, so I think that referring back to Poch, as you said there, it is certainly very different. Like the the football we saw under Poch at peak Pochettino, which funnily enough, like wasn't really the Pochettino that everyone like the, the season everyone remembers is the Champions League season. Well, most people would refer to, but you know, like I think anyone that watched the irregular in the Premier League would know that it's that kind of sixteen, seventeen, seventeen, eighteen period. Um, yeah. So like the yeah that football was just insane levels of energy, high pressing, like. I mean, it it, it kind of killed some of the players really in the long run when you look at their careers since. Like, I think that the amount of yeah, the sort of energy expended in that time. So yeah, that's just so different to what we've seen under Conte, and I mean that's to be expected. Um, that the high octane pressing has been replaced by this sort of more like much more likely to see this sort of uh, sort of sort of mid block. I think you would call it. Although as I said earlier, like we've been slipping into low blocks at times this season when we really should be like that's when we've been getting sort of flattened, flattened back, and that's. Um, that's been a problem. But yeah, I think Conte specifically, there's definitely this aura around him. And I think from a fan point of view, maybe in like the preseason period, people get a bit overexcited and they think, oh, maybe we could win the league this season. But I don't think anyone really ever thought that was actually going to happen. Um, from a player point of view, though, I think that it probably plays a massive part. And I think that players cannot, are in a different bubble to, to us as fans and especially us as like, analytically engaged fans if you like like that kind of thing like i think that the aura around conte will play a massive part in motivating and sort of convincing players like harry kane like i i wouldn't be that surprised if harry kane signed another contract under conte whereas even someone who you could argue is a better manager or whatever um who's maybe of a lesser stature i won't even give examples because it's not the point but like i think that yeah it's going to play a big part in motivating the players so i think that kane probably really believes that spurs can win the league this year even if i don't think that is a a, a realistic possibility so i think that yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz around just him as a as a kind of person and it does apply to fans too i think that the fans are quite confident about our chances in one of the four competitions we're in if you like like kind of some get, get getting a run in one of the competitions what did Reese? What have you made of Suns' form this season? Because it, it seems like it's been a, a little bit up and down, uh, at least from a, a finishing perspective. Sure. So Sun, it's been a weird one this season, like to the point that, like before he scored that hat trick against Leicester, m- like I would say most fans were like genuinely up for him being. Um, well, he was benched in that game actually, he was, and and people were happy about it, because um, he's a really confusing player at times when he's lacking confidence he really just he's a shadow of himself at his best but it doesn't take much to ignite that like that spark um in him and then he goes and scores a hat trick off the bench and it's like wow this guy is world class but 
yeah, so I think this season he's he struggled a lot with when he's not been on form, he's not contributing a lot outside of outside of his kind of final product. So like his contribution and build up and things like that, which the the three four three system kind of asks a little bit more of him in that sense. He's struggled with that and he's basically confined it. He's not really contributing a whole lot. Um, and that'll frustrate fans because I mean, if he's not scoring the goals or he's not getting the assists, then you know the the kind of frustration starts to build. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a difficult one. It, it's like he's got so much goodwill, though. I think that he's he's kind of almost immune from criticism to an extent. But um, it was it has recently kind of he's recently sort of recovered it a little bit. But it's he's definitely been a frustrating watch this season. Um, and I think you've got to hope that the sort of best is yet to come from him. Well, one other thing as well is that he, he was good. Um, he he was very good against uh, Frankfurt in the Champions League, and that was another one where um he looked kind of back to his best. But in the Premier League, yeah, it really has been patchy, and I think it's fair to say he has been pretty poor for a lot of the season. Um, just not really contributing a whole a whole lot all around. Sun's kind of a consistent. We talked about this a little bit. I think it came up in a sort of offhanded way in a few episodes ago. But uh, Sun is probably the best finisher I've ever seen of chances. And as such, he tends to make a lot out of a little, even when he doesn't have that many chances. But I think that type of sort of finishing performance can lead to um, stretches that vary wildly in terms of how chances get converted to goals, right? You'll get runs where he'll score five from five shots. But when you score like that, you can't do it as consistently as when you have, you know, something like Erling Holland, where he has, you know, five high quality chances per game i'm not saying he should score in the same volume but if you have that level of chances they tend to come with less variability i imagine so a lot of people have talked about maybe that in the context of sun's inconsistency how much of like do you think finishing influences his overall form and or do you think people kind of perceive his form based on whether his shots go in it's an interesting one no it is an interesting question um and it's something that I've thought about quite a lot. And it's hard to sort of remove yourself from the sort of biases and like recency bias and what you've seen as well. Um, so one thing I one thing that I would say about this is that like about alluding to confidence again, is that he, he does seem to be really influenced by by his confidence. Like when when it's not going his way, his touch looks heavier and things like this. And it's just when he has that sort of hot streak, it sort of gives him this self-belief and he genuinely looks better at like everything he's doing. And it can sound like it can sound like you're being almost just sort of influenced by the fact that he scored a goal recently that you think that, but I do think there is something in that where he just looks sharper when he's when he's got that confidence back and he's kind of got his mojo back, if you like. And yeah, I think that that's been really clear this season, like the, the periods where he's had it and he hasn't had it. And I think a lot of Spurs fans would say it's been like that throughout a lot of his Spurs career, but it's also a little bit debated where people say he's maybe like a, he's like a purple patch player, which I think is really 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 harsh but i kind of maybe understand where that like sentiment comes from but um i think that's a very harsh way to put it but i think that yeah he at his best he's absolutely unplayable but at his worst he you know he he leaves a lot to be desired it's a good answer it's a good answer thanks Reese. so do you have a match prediction with all of, all of this in mind that we've talked about in the last Oh, you're going to make him make a match prediction? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm going to make Orlando do it too. Welcome to Devils in the Details, Devils <laughs> Edition. I always do this, to be fair, so don't worry. I was doing it. I made um, I made my co-host at Pure Football, Danny, do this for the Liverpool Champions League game. And um, to be fair, they won 7-1, and he only predicted like 3-1 or something. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, prediction. I am kind of confident. I don't want, although I was confident last year and Ronaldo went and did he score a hat trick or something? I can't even remember. But, um. 
yeah, so, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen again. <laughs> um, I do have a sneaky feeling that we'll, we'll, we'll get a result. But, I mean, a result, I, I wouldn't mind a draw, to be honest. I don't think a draw would be a bad result for us at all. Um, if it wasn't for Arsenal being on such ridiculously hot form, then I'd, I would definitely have taken a draw. I'm just getting a bit worried about the, the gap there. But I would say maybe I can see both teams scoring, but I, I, I could see us edging it, to be honest. Maybe, maybe a 2-1. All right. Well, Case asked, so he has to also give a prediction. I do. For what it's worth, I don't think Ronaldo will start this match. This is way harder to guess than the Chelsea match, I think. I definitely think you're going to score. I'll say 1-1. I'll say 1-1. I'm, I'm a pessimist, so maybe I should be I'm, predicting a home win, but... <laughs> I'm going to add a slight caveat as well for my one, because I think if we go... If we start, like, I really hope this doesn't happen, but if we start with, like, Lucas in the front three, I generally think that hinders our chances massively, and we will be a much worse team for it. So... I wouldn't be confident of a win if I see Lucas in the starting lineup, but if it's if it's the three five two or a push the three four three with Persich maybe being pushed into the front three, I'm still somewhat confident. But I think I'd be most confident with the three five two. So so that's kind of that's how my thinking goes with the with the setup. I always caveat my answers, so that's fair play. <laughs> Go ahead, Aaron. No, I I'm I'm gonna optimistically predict a two one with Rashford scoring at least one of them. Uh, Reese. Tell everyone where they can find you. Um, I You've been great today, so I'm sure a lot of people will, will want to find you after this. <laughs> sure. So you can get me on Twitter is the best, um, and it's at RTJenke, and that's Jenke with a Y. Awesome. Thank you so much. No worries at all. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. After the break, we're joined by Orlando Valman. Stay tuned. All right, we're back. Case, Reese was great, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Shed a lot of light on... Um, I, I think you and I have actually watched a lot of Spurs this season, but sort of gave a, a more consistent opinion than either of you, uh, either you or I could have provided. Please follow him on Twitter. Great guy. So, Without further ado, it's now time to introduce our next guest. Orlando Valman is the co-founder of the Chelsea Spot podcast, which he also hosts. The Chelsea Spot was actually the first podcast I was on when I started with football analytics work, and I was honored at the time that Orlando invited me on. He's the most knowledgeable guy you can find if the subject is Cobham, Chelsea's world-class player production system, and as a result, you'll also see him often featuring over with our friends at Scouted Football. Orlando, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you, Aaron. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Um, Great to be on. Thank you for having me. You guys have been doing brilliantly, so yeah, great to be here. We're glad to have you on. Orlando, as I told you right before we started, I actually have not had the chance to watch much of Chelsea since Tuchel was sacked for Graham Potter. Potter's one of my favorite managers, and I thought Tuchel's time was up. Um, but do you think Potter's actually been able to fill the gap that uh, maybe Chelsea needed in their managerial position? Well, I mean, obviously it's early days, but uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, Chelsea have always had pretty high-profile managers, or if they haven't been high-profile managers, they've been high-profile footballing figures in the case of Frank Lampard. And I think Potter's maybe the first person ever in the job to kind of move away from that. Um, you know, he's obviously worked his way up the footballing system, um, done his, his years abroad in Sweden. It's actually really nice to have someone who doesn't really play into the whole kind of big name thing. And I mean, even in his few 
press conferences that we've seen so far, he's been pretty kind of frank and honest with the media. He hasn't taken any silly questions. He hasn't leaned into the kind of constructed media narratives that we often see big managers just kind of taking and being, yeah, okay, I'll give you your headline. In that sense, it's really nice. Um, in a footballing sense, it is also really nice because like you, he he's one of my favorite managers and he has been for a while. And he's certainly improved performances, improved results uh, since Tuchel was sacked. I think the Tuchel sacking was more of a long-term thing. Yes, the results hadn't been great when 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 he was sacked, but all the reports coming out suggested that the ownership yeah, did it with a kind of more long-term view. And I think that is that is proving to be the right decision so far because, yeah, Potter is certainly the kind of guy you go for if you're looking for long-term stability and improvement. Well, I mean... I I totally agree. And I think his big move is kind of long overdue. And despite having many sort of challenges with some of the decisions I see being made at Chelsea, I thought appointing him was a great decision and hopefully followed by a movement towards a more long-term approach, which, which I know is something you're probably an even bigger proponent of than I am. But despite struggling initially this season under Tuchel, Chelsea actually have 19 points from their first nine games, which is a pretty solid start for a team that probably would do well to finish in the top four, I would say. There's some XG over performance there. I don't think they're in the top four on non-penalty expected goal difference. I think the kind of XG data and the points data opens up a few possibilities, right? You could be looking at a team that's overperforming and is due a drop. You could be looking at a team that just switched manager, so they're due a rise in performances. Or that could even balance out to being a lot of sort of continuing along the vein that we've seen so far. Well, I think we will end up finishing in the top four. I think we've got the squad and the squad depth for it. We've now got hopefully no kind of rumblings of discontent surrounding uh, the managerial position. And also, I think teams around us are not necessarily looking as good as we might have expected. I mean, obviously, I haven't heard yet what you guys were saying with Reese, but I expected Spurs to be quite a lot better than they have shown to be so far this season. Um, I think you could say the same with with Liverpool. So I think we will end up in the top four. I think in terms of points, tallies, I think we'll probably continue to to have a similar return to the 19 points in nine. Maybe a slight improvement on that. I think one of the things I'm most excited about with Potter coming in is that he is the first manager Chelsea have had in a long time who is really a coach first and foremost and someone who who improves players and who who does that as his kind of main thing. That's what he likes doing. He, he gets the team playing really good and effective football as well, but he really improves players. And there are loads of players in this squad who can do with improvement and there are clear points of improvement. And I think Potter, Potter will do that. So I think as the season goes on, I am certainly expecting us to... To, to get better, get more cohesive, get more consistent. But I mean, <laughs> the start, it's been, I think, five games, four wins and a draw, um, three or four clean sheets, I think. So, you know, if we continue like that, then happy days. Yeah, you took my stats there at the end. I was going to say only two goals conceded and 11 scored uh, going into the Villa game and then they won 2-0. So that's now 13 scored. Um, a really good start for Potter. Uh, a lot of similarities maybe to the start under Tuchel where Chelsea went on a really good defensive run, and that kind of underpinned a lot of their success. Obviously, 13 goals is a healthy tally there, but um, I always felt that Chelsea were at their best under Tuchel when they were kind of in the preventative mode, uh, being able to make things difficult for the opposition, uh, not allowing them to play their way into games, and really kind of suffocating the game and slowly sort of 
allowing themselves the chance to win the game over a longer period of time. I think that's why they were so successful in the Cups compared to in the league as well. Do you think maybe Potter is going to be able to get more out of sort of the attacking talent that Chelsea have at their disposal? I feel like you guys have a mix of a lot of really talented players who are sort of limited in very specific ways and getting them into one sort of cohesive attacking unit could be quite difficult. But I also feel like Potter could be the type of manager to make that work. No, I think it's definitely the case that I mean, already in in these first few games, we've looked a lot more dangerous in attacking areas. And I think maybe the stats, the defensive stats in terms of goals conceded, don't really tell the full story in kind of the changes have made, the changes Potter has made in comparison to Tuchel. I think he's taking a lot more risks. I mean, we were very, very lucky um, not to concede at least one against Aston Villa. We were saved somehow by Kepa, which I still don't really understand. Um, I don't. I don't really know what's going on there. It's struggling to comprehend it. But yeah, Kepa had a brilliant performance against Aston Villa, and really we deserve to be to be down at half time. But yeah, we're taking a lot more risks. We're defending more with the back four. We're we're just pushing the wing backs higher and also into more central areas at times. And we're allowing the front three more creative freedom so Mason Mount that's been at times Conor Gallagher as well Raheem Sterling has not really had that much on ball involvement I think under Tuchel a lot was going through him in possession and that doesn't necessarily suit him that much um, whereas he's, he's now kind of being a bit more of a kind of Roma in possession and, and just looking for, for for gaps to pick the ball up in dangerous positions and we're also getting a lot more out of Aubameyang which which I didn't necessarily expect, but he he looks really dangerous at the moment. So I think, yeah, to, uh, sorry, Potter is taking a lot more risks than Tuchel would take, and I think, I think that's the right thing to do because, as you said, the the risk averse approach is effective in cups, but it's not really going to win you a league title. It's not going to get you close to winning a league title unless you get very very lucky. So so yeah, I, I'm pleased with with him doing that. Awesome. You spoke about sort of the wingbacks being pushed really far forward under Potter compared to under Tuchel. I felt a lot of the time under Tuchel, the attackers struggled with maybe almost having too much to do, too much space to cover, too much to do when they receive the ball to feet. About the wingbacks and sort of maybe other mechanisms Potter might be introducing to maybe reduce that effect and, and give the forwards more reasonable jobs in possession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at Brighton, we saw him do it quite a lot with Leandro Trossard, playing him as a left wing back and kind of defending with uh, a sort of lopsided back four. Um, and he did that almost exactly the same thing uh, in his fir- very first game against Salzburg in the Champions League with Raheem Sterling um, at left wing back. Um, well, kind of ostensibly on the team sheet as left wing back, but he was very, very high, very, very wide. And yeah, we were defending in a back four with Mark Kukurea as the left centre back coming into left back. And that worked really well against Salzburg. Um, Sterling barely got into any kind of situations where he had to do real defending. And Potter tried it again in in the last game uh, against Aston Villa with Sterling on the right and it didn't work. Um, And we got battered quite heavily in the first half um, because we were trying to defend in a back four with Mark Kukurea as one of the centre-backs rather than as the left-back. Um, and that really didn't work. Sterling had to do some 1v1 defending on multiple occasions. He was outrageously nutmegged by Ashley Young, which was quite funny. We And as I said, we got lucky to to stay in the game. Well, not to stay in the game, but to not to not be um, down at half-time. And then Potter changed it, made substitutions at half-time, changed the structure. 
um and and the second half was was pretty easy going so yeah there are certainly things that he's doing that I mean Tuchel did play Hudson Odoi at wing back quite a lot and Pulisic as well but it was really just a switch in personnel and not at all a switch in in tactical approach and and I think that's where it differs under Potter. So let, let, let's take this and let's get a little bit more United specific because the fixture's coming up this weekend. You're on a United podcast. Do you see that approach that he tried? Well, probably not the approach he tried against Villa because he switched away from it pretty quickly regardless. Um, but maybe what he did against Salzburg uh, being something that Potter uses this weekend against United, or do you think there's a different way you're going to line up? What do you anticipate? Um, it's hard to say because this is the first kind of quote-unquote big game that um, we'll be playing under Potter against a big team. I mean, there was AC Milan, but the Champions League is, is very, very different. <laughs> yeah. It's very different because, um, yeah, for many reasons. Um, I think, I do think we'll we'll see, well, things are different now because Reese James is now injured. Um, and that, that really changes things because you've got Cesar Azpilicueta, who is quite washed but can still do a job as we saw against Wolves he was actually really good you've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek who has actually been the best player since Potter's come in in central midfield but is also pretty good at right wing back so he could play there you could play Christian Pulisic there there are a few options I think he'll probably go for Azpilicueta he'll go for the slightly more conservative conservative approach um, and and Ben Chilwell on the other side and just try and try and get Chilwell really high because I think when you've got Loftus-Cheek in, in the midfield, you've got that bit more dynamism. You've got that bit more attacking kind of cutting edge. So, yeah, I think he'll probably not look to take as many risks as he potentially would in a game where we'd expect to dominate possession a little bit more. But yeah, it's it's hard to predict. Do you want to give us your whole starting 11? Because I feel like you got halfway there and I was going to ask you. Um, I'm assuming N'Golo Conte is out as well. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he'll be out for the World Cup as well, which is... It's just a shame, really, for all football fans, I think. Um, but, I mean, he won't necessarily be such a miss in this game because he's been out for almost the entire season. He got in, he picked up the injury, I think, in the third game of the season against Spurs. Um, so so it's been quite a while, and, and sadly it will be quite a while yet before he, he gets back on the pitch. But, yeah, my lineup. I mean, cap it in goal. He's been, he's been fine, and against Villa he was excellent, so... You can't really drop him on the basis of that, although I do think Klanger is inevitably round the corner. Back three would be... I think Kukurea probably won't start after not the best performance against Villa, but obviously there's a game against Brentford again on Wednesday night um, that will inform a lot of this, so so it's hard to say now recording on, on the Monday. But the back three will be certainly Silva in the middle and then Kukurea, Chalabar, and Koulibaly, two of those on either, you know, two of those, two out of the three. Ben Chilwell, left wing back. I think he'll probably go with Kovacic on the bench for this game. Uh, Jorginho and Loftus-Cheek in midfield. Aspilicueta, right wing back. And a front three of Mount Abamyang and Sterling. Yeah, that sounds about right to me as well. Case, uh, what are your thoughts on that, both from a Chelsea and a United perspective? Anytime I hear Jorginho is going to start against us, I get pretty excited. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I think even during our, our, our darkest moment last season was followed immediately by Jorginho gifting us a point. Um, oh. So I have to say I, I like the sound of that. Though 
as I under, I've, I've seen a couple of Chelsea matches recently, and, and Orlando, you I think you alluded to this before we started recording today, but Jorginho's actually been pretty good recently. Depending on how we line up, and I think this might be a match where we go for a more physical midfield, um, or at least a more mobile midfield, uh, given that yesterday we lined up with Fred and Casemiro. I think there's a chance we use Fred and Casemiro again in this match. Um, and I think maybe there's, a, there's an advantage to be had there. Um, though Loftus-Cheek, Orlando also alluded to this, or said it explicitly, obviously negates a lot of that, uh, that deficit that you have because he's so much more of a dynamic player. Otherwise, sort of exactly what I, what, what I would expect from a Potter side. Um, the idea of Kukureja not starting is an interesting one, though I take Orlando's point that he, he had a poor performance against Villa this past weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there's 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 much super interesting in there to, to get into from a, a tactics perspective, given how United will interact with how they line up. Um, what about you, Aaron? Do, do you have anything specific in mind? I mean, I'm always afraid of Mason Mount. I feel like he's just so good. Um, and I've heard that recently he's been even better than he usually is. Not sure. Like I said, I haven't watched any Chelsea games of late, but he's just such an interesting player. He can operate in the middle third, final third, pretty much do anything. Um, he's also a monster out of possession. I just, I, I never like coming up against teams with him because I feel like those types of players make it so hard for you to constantly feel confident throughout matches. Um, from a United point of view, I do feel like United can get an athletic advantage in midfield, but, and it's also somewhat dependent on the Spurs game. I almost wonder, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if Tenog went with the same 11 in both games, but I almost wonder if, um, I don't know, it's, (laughs) Potter kind of destroyed United at the start of the season, and the midfield in that match was McTominay and Fred. Um, and I almost wonder if that's going to be playing on Tenog's mind because I know it was a totally different team, but I don't think the system and the principles are entirely different. And, um, well, I think, <laughs> I think he's definitely going to try to press us high. Um, and I think we're almost yeah. certainly going to go long from goal kicks. We've been talking about this all season. This has been like every match. Um, are we going long from goal kicks or are we going short? We tried to go short again against Newcastle intermittently. I am 100% certain you will not see that uh, in this Chelsea match. Um, and our press, has looked, our press has looked really good under Potter, really sharp. Surprisingly, Aubameyang really, really looking sharp. Yeah, that ball. is an interesting one. Uh, yeah. I can't really explain it. I don't know where it's come from. Um, I don't know what Xavi was drilling into him in Barcelona, but he's, 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 he's not slacking at all. He's, he's, and he's it's not just that he's putting in the work he's also you know he's got good angles he's he's choosing the right moments quite well mm. well that is concerning to hear but i will say i it won't come down to how you press us in in, in our half and and that's not because you won't you wouldn't be very effective at doing it i think it's because we'll probably deliberately avoid those situations um and so it'll come down more to your ability to win second balls that said, I don't, I'm not really confident in us winning second balls either. So, yeah, I also feel it'll it'll have to do with how tight you guys are in transition because I could see Chelsea having 60 plus percent of the ball in this game with United going long from goal kicks, um, and because of that, they might struggle to score. But perhaps more importantly is what how they perform when they lose the ball, uh, because again, I'm almost sure Rashford's going to play in this game, and the play is going to be to try and find Rashford. 
And so maybe that's where I'm a bit conflicted about the midfield is one, uh, the sort of McTominay and Fred midfield didn't quite work uh, against Potter earlier in the season, even though it was partially because of playing out of the back and also not fully understanding the roles that those two optimally function in. But more than that, I feel like playing in this sort of transitional game, a lot of the big uh, plays United have made, especially against Arsenal and Liverpool, involved Ericsson being heavily involved from deep. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Tenog were to revert to Casemiro and Ericsson. That's true. And Ericsson was sick this weekend. So yes, he was sick. So I, it's probably it could be a case that Fred just played because he had could to. Be and not because it was a tactical choice. Although I thought it was suited to Newcastle. I, I do think Ericsson will start the, the midweek game against Tottenham. But then, then it'll come down to the, will he ever rotate question on on Sunday, is it? I think this match is on Sunday. All right, long story short, Orlando, how are you feeling about United going into this game? And maybe give us a prediction. Well, one thing that I will say that it's completely outside of tactics or current form or anything is that I cannot remember the last time Chelsea beat Man United in like any game league or cup it was the FA Cup semi-final in 2020 when De Gea made two mistakes true true but you know those those lockdown games those lockdown games they just they don't feel like they exist but I mean I think it's really been all united in this fixture for the last I don't know up to five years and as a Chelsea fan, and I think pretty much all Chelsea fans would agree. Um, it feels like, I mean, this is a bit of a cliche, but the fact that we're in good form, the fact that United haven't had the best start to the season, it just all is kind of lining up for, you know, as a bit of a surprise result. I think on paper we should win. I think um, we're in good form. There's le- There are fewer question marks about our starting eleven. If I had to give a prediction, I think I would say... A relatively comprehensive win for Chelsea. I wouldn't... I think United will score, but probably only one. And I think Chelsea will score two or three. So, All right. Case, you seemed a lot more confident about this game when talking to Reese uh, than the Spurs one. So what do you think? Because I honestly have no idea how either of these are going to go. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. I think if we're going to get thumped in either of these matches, it will be this the Chelsea match. But I also think if we're going to win either of these matches, I think we might... Win, well, we might be more likely to win against Chelsea than we would be to win against Spurs. Um, just because our attack is still like just not good. I don't think there's really any other way to put it. We, we don't create chances. Tottenham aren't going to play into our hands um, in the way that I think Chelsea could. That said, I still think we're going to lose this match. Um, so yeah, I think probably 2-1 Chelsea is what I'm expecting. I really want to say Anthony Martial is going to come back and do something <laughs> great. But I, I, I would also be quite happy with three points from these next two matches against Spurs and Chelsea. Um, Orlando, please tell everyone where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at... Oh, God, I always struggle with how to vocalize this. Um, <laughs> at Orlandino, but the first <laughs> O is a zero and the I is a one. So zero Orland one H O. We'll plug it in the description, guys. <laughs> you can uh, search Orla- up Orlando and it'll probably come up. We'll plug it in the description. <laughs> okay. Aaron, did, Orlando. Did you just, Aaron, I think you just shied away from an actual prediction, by the way. <laughs> oh, I, I think Chelsea will win. I'll go I'll go you know what? I'll go boring nil nil. Optimism. I you know what? I think that is a genuine possibility. I think 
the two teams could kind of cancel each other out a little bit like what we saw a lot under Tuchel at Chelsea. Chelsea with lots of the ball, United players just kind of standing there and nothing really happening. Um, I think I think that is possible. I'm hoping for more of a opening day Lampard Solskjaer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Orlando. Thank you so much, Orlando. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Everyone go follow Orlando. Like I said, I will plug his Twitter handle in the description, so you do not have to search that up. Um, he's great, though, and does all kinds of cool content across the football sphere, so check him out. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.